Well, we are in the middle of a series entitled American Idol. We'll be going through September, and then we're going to take the last couple months, and I'm going to talk about probably, we've been in a long series here on this year. We've been really focusing how to live lives that are holy. We've been talking about this highway of holiness, and uh, in October, November, we're going to look at really probably the most important piece of this whole challenge to us to live holy lives. And so I'm looking forward to that. But we're kind of walking through identifying the uh, idols of our day. And this morning we're looking at the idol of individualism. This one is, this one's really big. And the, real, the reason it's so big is because we don't understand, we've gotten so used to it in our culture from the time we're you know, we just live in this American culture and we don't understand how individualistic we, we really are. One of my favorite stories, <clears throat> I've told this before, you know when you've been someplace 16 years you start repeating yourself. <laughs> but uh, one of my favorite stories is Stuart Briscoe who whenever he went to a city speaking he'd always, he'd always pick up a paper and try and find something to relate to the people there. He was in Indiana. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever driven through Indiana, but there's some interesting names there. There's uh, one city called Normal. You familiar with that one? And there's also a city called Oblong. And so he read the paper and it said, Normal girl marries Oblong boy. <laughs> and uh, he thought that was so funny. <clears throat> and so he, he opened his sermon in this, in this church in Normal, Indiana with that, and nobody laughed. Not a, not a smile. No, nobody got it. They thought, what's, what's funny about that? They, they'd heard it so long that they, they didn't see the humor in it anymore. And that's how this thing of individualization is. And so I have a little exercise this morning to see if maybe you suffer from individualisis. Okay? <clears throat> individualisis. Just, just a few questions. The Bible, God, God speaks to me through, this is God's Bible to me. Okay? That's how you think about it. Rather than this is God's Bible to us, you may be suffering from individualitis. Or you think about destiny. You think, what is my destiny? If you think in terms of what is my destiny versus what is our destiny, you might be suffering from individualitis. Or if when you think about the gospel, you just think about, you just think about uh, yourself, and you don't think about Israel, and you don't think about the church at large, you may be suffering from individualisis. Or gifts. Let's say you're thinking, you know, I have a gift. How can I use my gift? Instead of thinking, what, what are the needs in the church, and how might God use me to fill those needs? If when you think of evangelism, your picture is a guy sitting in a boat, <coughs> a quiet lake, casting, retrieving the reel, versus eight men with a net, throwing it out together, casting this net to catch fish, you may be suffering from individualitis. Or if you think about accomplishing something great, you know, I want to make something great of my life, I want to become, you know, one of the great people, like many of the greats of the past, if that's how you think, versus... I want to help the bo- I want to be part of the body of Christ accomplish something great for God. You might be 
suffering from individualitis. Or if you say, what am I doing to impact the world versus what are we doing to impact the world? The Bible is very corporate, uh, and our Western thinking is so individualistic. So individualistic. When my daughter took uh, Hebrew at, at Moody, one of the most predominant things she said was that she learned there was just how, how incapable we are as Westerners of understanding the corporate mentality. Uh, the mentality that the people of God, Israel, grew up with. And we'll see a little bit of that a little later. And so this morning, I want to read a passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. I invite you to follow along, New Testament book. And Paul here is giving us a metaphor, a very important one for us to understand. Now, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body's not made, of one, made up of one part, but of many. And if the foot should say to the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. I have a couple of plants here um, <clears throat> this morning. And I have, I have this one over here. And uh, so that's one of the plants. There's also one right over there. And uh, sitting right by the piano. Can anyone tell me, uh, I'm going to look to the front row here. Can you guys tell me what the difference between those two plants are? Okay, that one's more bushy. And that one's more tree, okay? Any other differences? One's on the left, one's on the right. We're getting deep now, I can tell. <laughs> That's why? Okay. This one is a real plant, right? This is an artificial one, okay? So if you were to take one home, how many of you would take this one home. 
Okay, how many would you, would you take this one home? Okay. So, Elizabeth, why would you take this one home? Okay. <laughs> then her cat would not throw up on the floor after eating. Okay. So, a bunch of you would take this one. Easy to take care of, right? Never have to water it. Don't have to worry about sunlight. Put it anywhere in the house. Cat's not going to eat it. Throw up on it. <clears throat> the cat eats this one, it might die. Okay? <clears throat> so, this one, uh, a bunch of you would rather have the artificial tree. Those of you who would, um, did anyone here say they wanted the real one? Okay, Marn, wh why would you like the real one? Okay, so you can nurture this plant and, and take care of it and have responsibility and see the result of taking care of it or the result of not taking care of it, right? This one is easy, but there's no care for this one. Just once a year, spray off, throw it in the shower, right? <coughs> and uh, clean it up. So we have things that are artificial and then we have things that are organic. And so artificial trees, you know, you don't need to take care of them. They don't need fertilizer. They don't need water. Real trees, they, they're real. They're, they grow, right? They're changing. They reproduce. They give off oxygen into the, uh, you know, all of the trees. Everything around us here is giving off things that are vital for us to live. So here's the point. All that to say, God is not interested in artificial churches. God is interested in real, organic, living churches. And the church is as much an organism, is as much organic as, as that plan is. If you do not take care of it, it will die. If God does not sustain, if God does not take responsibility to sustain his church, the church will die. If we do not take responsibility for our church, the church will die. And the church can grow, and the church can flourish, and the church can give off life-giving things. Artificial things look good, but they do not have the potential that something organic does. <clears throat> and so, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul here is driving home this point. If you're a Christian... If you have named the name of Christ, if you have placed your faith in Christ, at that moment, something happened to you. You see it in verse 13. Here's what happened. It says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. So the moment you believed you were baptized, you were put into the body of Christ. You became a part of this organic thing called the church. If you believe in Jesus, you're in the church. You're part of the church. You are the body of Christ, is what he's saying here. And so, one of the things that we leave behind when we come to faith is our independence. We leave behind that spirit of, of independence. You know, it says, I don't want other people looking over my shoulder. I don't want to be responsible for other people. I, I just want life to be kind of about me. That's something that, that does not fit in the context of the Christian life. 
We are no longer our own. We are bought with a price, and God places us into a body. And so there's just some things he says here. One of them, verse 12, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. And so the first point he makes here is this. Many parts to a body, but together they form just one body. Just one. There's only one church. Technically, there's only, you know, we have different local manifestations, but there's only one body. There's only one church. There's not two, there's not three, there's only one body. And so we're not independent from Mount Olive down the street. They are a part of our body, our Christ community up the road, or any other place where the name of, name of Christ is named. We are all together with them, one body in Christ. We are individual parts of that, but there is, there is only one body. So, so that's his first major point. Then in verse 14, he flips it around. He says, now the body's made up, is not made up of one part, but of many. So the body's made up, not of one part, but, but it's made up of many. And so like our physical bodies, it's an analogy, there's, there's all kinds of parts that go into, into the body. And it takes all of those parts for the body to function effectively. He makes the point that we have to be different. So you, you really can't compare yourself to somebody else in a lot of ways because God has, has, has made us different parts with different functions. You know, your nose really doesn't care much about seeing. And your eyes really don't care much about smelling. And so we have different passions and different things that we are just very passionate about, and that is the way God has designed the body of Christ. We can't all be eyes, we can't all be hands, we can't all be kidneys, we can't all be toes. But he also makes the point here that every part is equally as important. There are no unimportant parts. You know, even a hangnail will drive you crazy. Right? The, that part of your body, the part right along your fingernail, you get something wrong with that, it'll affect your whole body. It can put your whole body in pain. Every part of the body affects every other part of the body. When something's wrong, I don't care where it is, when something's wrong with some part of your body, it will affect the rest of the body. Every part is important. That's his second point. And then the third one in verse 24, the second part there, it says, But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So it's like some parts of your body are maybe, you know, are, are maybe you'd rather look into somebody's eyes than look at their toes. Okay? Would you rather look at somebody's eyes than their toes? Probably, most of us would. <coughs> So there are naturally things that are more attractive in the body and other things that are less attractive. And the point he's making here is that all of them are equally important. So, so we don't give lesser honor something just because on the outside it is, is naturally more attractive. We give equal honor to all parts of the body. Some functions in the church may be more visible. Others are much more invisible and might seem to be less important. But the point he's making here is that that's not the case. 
we should have equal care. And he says, so because we're part of a body, when one part suffers, we all suffer. So many of us come here today. We, we know Ralph and Betty. They lost their son this last week. And we feel that. And we feel it in our emotions because we, we are a part of, of one body. And when a new child is born and we announce it on Sunday morning, we, we, we rejoice in that together because we're all part of, of one body. And so we, 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 we live with each other and we rejoice with each other and we mourn with each other and we live life with each other because we are part of one body. And then he summarizes in verse 27. He says, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. We are not called to be plastic. We are not called to be artificial. We are called to be the organic living body of Christ. I don't know how many of you remember this statement, but a few of you might. This goes back to 2006. This is a statement that you would have probably seen up on the wall. I'm going to put it up, and I want you to tell me if, if you think that you recognize this. <clears throat> it starts with, a, with the organic nature. <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to have you guys throw that up. Organic nature, and here's what we wrote about what that means. <clears throat> That our goal was to experience what it means to be the actual body of Christ in these areas, okay? In interdependence, in devotion, in care, in function, in healing, and in growth. So what does that, what does that mean to actually be an organic, uh, the organic body of Christ? which is totally interdependent and which is involved in devotion to one another and care and functioning together and healing and growth. You know, one of our vision statements is that we would be engaged. That means to be devoted and in function to this healing and growth. What does it mean to be a body that's, that's growing in this way? And we've been very intentional about developing uh, seeking to develop what it means to actually be a church. You know, just because you can fill a parking lot and get people into a building and get enough money in to support it and send them home does not necessarily mean that we're functioning as the church. It just means we're getting a bunch of people together. But if those people are not growing, if people aren't feeling connected, if they aren't, if their lives, you know, if it's nothing more than, you know, a Sunday morning, good program, people come, and, and then they go back. If there's not this organic element, then I, I don't think, I think we're missing what God intended in his church. <clears throat> and so, several years ago, we developed community groups, and our goal was to learn how to care for each other, how to learn how to help one another, and and so we, we've been working on that as a, as a church body together. We spent a whole year on what it means to communicate with each other in a way that's healthy and nourishing and, and wholesome. And there's only, one, there's only one item that's allowed in our lobby. Do you know what it is? How many of you know the only item that's allowed in the wall? Okay, It's our communications covenant. 
That's how we talk to each other. And so in that covenant, the essence of it is, we're going to talk with each other. And if I have a problem with you or you have a problem with me, you're going to come to me and I'm going to come to you and we're going to work it through because we are committed to being a body of Christ. We're not going to talk around each other. We're going to talk with each other. We're going to have enough respect for one another to speak honestly in love with one another. And so that, that was all part of, of wanting to experience what God has for us as a body. And I'll have to say this. When people ask me <clears throat> about how I enjoy ministry right now at Bethany, I've been here 16 years. And you know what stands out in my mind when I usually say it? I say, you know, we are far from perfect. But I, I think we are experiencing a, a good taste of, of what God intended uh, in his church to be in harmony, to be united, to be working together, one heart, one mind, to have people engaged, not just showing up for an hour on Sunday, but engaged in the body, caring for one another. I said, you know, I have been able to experience that in, a, in an ever-growing way here at Bethany, and, and I just find that to be very, very fulfilling in my life. We have a lot of people that have given up their independence and have given themselves over to functioning as the body of Christ. And you know what? That takes time, and that takes resource, and that takes energy, and that takes sacrifice. But that's what the body of Christ is all about. And that was the model of our Lord to each one of us. And then, and then Paul goes on and, and he says, the glue that holds us all together... The glue that holds it all together is something called love. That's why in chapter 13, right when he gets done with this, he says, and now I'll show you the most excellent way. And this is what he says. He says, you know what? You can stand up like they did at Pentecost. I could get up here and speak in tongues. Or he said, you know, you can have, he said, you can have, you can spew out profound, deep theological truths. Or I can have faith that's so powerful it can even move mountains. Or I can give everything I have to the poor and give my body to be burned. And Paul says, if we don't have love for one another, what does he say? He says, we're nothing. He says, we're nothing. You can do all those things, but if we aren't patient, and we aren't kind, and we aren't humble, and we aren't selfless, and we aren't slow to anger, and we aren't forgiving, and we aren't protecting of others, and trusting of others, and persevering with each other. Paul says we, we've missed the whole point of, our, of, our, of the Christian faith. These are the things that maintain the health of the body. And, and it's not a bunch of perfect people getting together. It's a bunch of sick, broken people getting together and beginning to experience the healing that comes when we begin to care about each other. That's what's supposed to happen in the church. Is that not only do we receive redemption from Christ, the head, but then we are placed, we are baptized into his body, and, and that's where we begin, by God's design, that should be the place then through love and through kindness and through mercy and through extending all these gifts that we begin to grow and mature and develop as people. 
It's through the Spirit of God and through the Word of God and through the people of God. Spirit of God, the Word of God, the people of God, that the body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I'm quoting now from the Apostle Paul. You know, I meet people and they say, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I, I don't have time for the church. You ever hear somebody say that? I believe in Jesus, but I don't, I, 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 I've given up on the church. Theologically, that, you can't, that doesn't make any sense. So you have Christ, and then you have his body. This is not, my, this is not your body or mine. This is, the church is Christ's body, right? Isn't that what he said? This is my body? The body of Christ? I mean, just think about that. We call this the body of Christ. So how can you separate the head from the body? You can't cut off Christ's head. Say, well, I believe in the head, but I've thrown out the body. It doesn't work that way. If you don't believe in the body, you haven't believed in the head. You can't, you can't separate those two. And so once we trust in the head, Christ calls us into his body. And that's where we learn, and that's where we give, and, and that's where we care. I remember a guy in Rozo in the church I was at before, and, and uh, I came, he called me up, and he was a guy that had been to the church like once, and then he just, he and his wife never came. They only lived two blocks from the church. They said they were Christians, but they just didn't really have time. So he calls me up, and he says, you know, we have a financial need, and we were just wondering if the church could help us. I said, <clears throat> I said you know, I think we could help you, but I even of greater concern is I, I'd really like to see you get involved. I still remember he was sitting in his chair and he pointed to the TV and he said, that's my church. And I was a young pastor then and so I didn't say this, but I wish I could go back now because this is what I would have said. I, <clears throat> so why don't you ask your church for the money? See, because that church was very impersonal. You know, you can get up in your pajamas, cup of coffee, watch your church, and go on with your day, and it costs you very little. It costs you very little time, costs you very little of anything. Why don't people get involved in church? Individualizes. Don't want to take the risk. Don't want to invest the time. Don't want just don't want to get involved. Life is simpler without it. And so we find it in our day. We also have a whole generation coming up that for many are not real excited about the church. And they probably bear some of that responsibility, but, but I think the church bears a lot of responsibility as well. It's interesting, you know, the, the baby boomer, which is, you know, the 45, 50, over, over, you know, we've, I, I've, I've listened to the church grow things, and, you know, they talk about a 60-minute a service, and everything needs to be done, you know, you need to have excellence, and, and people will come, and all that thing, and it's interesting what's happening now, because I, I, I listen to the, some of the speakers to the younger crowd, and, and they're speaking for over an hour, and services are running an hour and 45 minutes, two hours long, and, and things aren't real polished, and it's, you know, what, what, what are young people looking for? They're looking for the real, they're looking for something real. They don't want something artificial. They don't want something showy. They want something real. 
a place where people really care and where people have real life together because that's something foreign to them. You know, they're growing up in a culture where, where parents are splitting up and, and, and it's such a broken world and to come and experience real love and, and real community. And I really think that's what the church is supposed to be about. It's not about putting on a good show for an hour on Sunday morning. It's about people coming together, living life together, and, and, and being real, not being artificial. Well, <clears throat> let me just share a couple other stories. I'm not going to spend a long time on them, but just in these last few minutes, a couple stories from the Bible I just want to mention that, that really speak to this. One is a guy by the name of Achan. How many of you have heard of Achan? Okay, maybe half of us. Achan is this guy in the Old Testament, and Israel's winning all these battles, and God's doing these miraculous things, and all of a sudden they, they come up this team or this, this uh, town called Ai. It reminded me of when I used to, when I was back in high school, and we had, you know, the, we had the schools in our, in our conference, and one of them was called Ogilvy. Ogilvy was really small, and they were never any good. And so we always looked forward to that game because we all, you know, the subs looked forward because they knew they were going to get in in the second half and we knew we might be able to play different positions that we never played. And, and this is kind of like Ogilvy, AI. They only sent 3,000 soldiers because they thought it would be a piece of cake. They went and they were routed and like 36 Israelite men died. 36 of them died. So they came back and... Uh, Joshua was, you know, Joshua's. he prays to God. And I'll just read you a little piece of his prayer. Comes back and, and Joshua said, Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd be content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Well, Lord, what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this. They'll surround us, wipe us out from the name, our name from the earth. What then will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. <laughs> Joshua's down on his knees. He said, get up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant. Wow. Israel has sinned. So Joshua's thinking, what, what happened? Lord says, I want you to bring every clan, every tribe, man by man before you, and I want you to confront them. And so they did that, every tribe. And, and they went through and finally it came to this guy called Achan. And when it came to Achan and he was confronted, he said, okay, I did it. I, I took some gold and silver and this really nice robe from the plunder from the last battle. And I, I did it was just a few things and I stuck it under my tent. 36 men died. Israel was routed because of the sin of one man. And God didn't say, you know what? Somebody in your camp has sinned. The text says, Israel has sinned. No separation between the individual and corporate. And we have a hard time understanding that, but God doesn't have a hard time understanding that because, you know, this is one body. And Achan was taken out, and he and all of his children were stoned to death. It, horrific. It's one of those scenes you don't even want to think about. 
But that's how serious it was. And, and the point is this. The point is that, you know, when, when I sin and I'm part of a body, it affects the whole body. I mean, if I'm involved in some ongoing rebellious sin against God in my life, it affects you. And your sin affects me. As we come here on Sunday morning, the things going on in our life affects the Spirit of God in our midst. If there are unresolved issues between people, it affects the Spirit of God in our midst. I remember a time in Rosa where there was some issues, contention going on, and we had had a couple that came to the church. They came one Sunday, and I didn't see them. Two years later, we had resolved the conflicts. They came back, and after the service, they came up and said, what happened here? They said, we could tell the last time we walked in the door. We didn't hear any, it had nothing to do with the music, the message, nothing. We just walked in the door. We could just feel. We could just feel it in the spirit that something was wrong. And so, we think our sin is private. We think our sin is private, but it's not. <clears throat> We're part of a body. And if something's going on in my body, you know what? It affects the rest of my body, doesn't it? If you've got something going on in your big toe, it affects how you walk. Pretty soon it affects your hip. Pretty soon your whole body's getting out of whack. Our sin is not private. The body is only as healthy as the sum total of its parts. And then finally, there was another guy called, we learned another lesson from, just a little bit later, is from a guy called Nehemiah. You heard of Nehemiah? Once you have. He's the guy that rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem, right? Wasn't that him? No, that's not what he did. You want to know who rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem? Go look in chapter 3, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. The Jeshanah gate was repaired by Joiada, son of Paseah, and Meshechalim, son of Bosidia, and a bunch of other names. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zaniah. The dung gate was repaired by Melchijah, son of Rechab. The fountain gate Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Rahim the son. It goes on for 32 verses, about 80 different names of people who rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. Nehemiah did not rebuild the wall. The people rebuilt the wall. Pastor Kim does not accomplish things at Bethany. It's the people of God that accomplished the work at Bethany. And if one, of those, if one of those gates had been left undone, if that dung gate had not been repaired, the city would have been penetrable. I mean, people, the enemy could have come right in to the city. And so the point here is that every job is vital in the church. Every job is vital. And so you know when... You know, next time you walk out on the patio and you walk out there, remember that every time you step, somebody laid one of those bricks. Somebody laid one of them. 
When you go back and, and pour a cup of coffee, somebody made that cup of coffee for you. Somebody put those things on the table. Somebody vacuumed the floors this week. People gave so that these lights could be on so we could afford a light bill and afford to have this facility and this building. And so in verse, chapter 4, verse 6, he says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. That's how the wall was rebuilt. That's how churches do things. It's when, when people work with all their heart. So let me just conclude. Here's a, a summary of these teachings this morning. Number one, if you're writing these down, you can just fill in the blanks there. If you are a Christian, not only should Christ be your life, but the church should be your life. You are called not only into relationship with the head, but with the, this body, Christ. He has a body, and it is the body of Christ. Number two, God is calling us to die to our individualism, to this disease of individualisis. He's talking about the attitude that has you as the focus of your life. You should never walk through those doors thinking about me. We should always walk through those doors thinking about us, thinking about others, thinking about what can I do here today to help build up this body of Christ. And, and as you do that, you will be built up as well. Number three, our little piece of the project is important to the whole. And you know what? We get to celebrate the collective victories that happen. We don't do things alone here. When, when somebody gets up and celebrates, there are a lot of people that had a part in that. And so whenever something good is happening, we get to celebrate. When Christ Community Church comes down here and baptizes 25 people in our baptistry, we celebrate that. They're part of our body. That, that is a victory for the kingdom of God. We get to celebrate with the body of Christ at large. Fourthly, when someone is hurting or rejoicing, we enter in. We become a part of that. That's what it means to be a part of the body. We enter into that. It takes time, energy, resources. It will cost us. But that's what it's about. And it affects, it affects others in a powerful way. And lastly, how I live and how you live affects the rest of the body of Christ. How we live affects the rest of the body. My actions, good or bad, are not just about me. They're about the rest of the body of Christ. And we are only as healthy as the individual parts of our body. You know, one day the Lord is going to return and you know what the focal point of everything going on in history today, you know what the focal point is? It's the church. Christ is returning for his bride. It's the church. It's his body. And what an amazing privilege for us to be a part of, of that body. May God help us <clears throat> as we make ourselves available to build a body as God has intended it to be. Father, I thank you for this uh, <clears throat> church body. I'm very grateful, Father, for the privilege I've had of serving uh, with a, a group of people that 
Lord, understand to a large degree, many here, Lord, what it means to be a part of a body, to get engaged, uh, to commit oneself, to devote oneself, uh, to love and to care and to support one another. Father, we're certainly far from perfect in that, but Lord, that is our desire collectively, is that you continue to mature and, and move us and shape us and mold us, that when you look down on, on, on this uh, body of Christ, Father, that, that, sh- that you would see a body that's reflecting what you intended for your body to be. And so, Lord, by your grace and by your spirit, just empower us in that way. Father, now bless, as we conclude this service, just bless the gifts that are given this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.